Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. time. I got to consult God on this, but just give me a little bit of time and I'll be able to interpret the dream. And he goes, okay, you got a little bit of time. So Daniel goes back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And long story short, right? Because that's the title. They pray together and God gives him not only the interpretation, but gives him the dream. And he, and he goes in and he interprets the dream. He interprets that dream. And as a result of that, they are, they, Daniel is elevated to a position of authority. But there's a piece of the story that we forget that I think is really important, and that is that not only was Daniel's life spared, not only was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life spared, but beyond all of that, there were other, the other wise men in Babylon, those other folks, they were also spared. Now, as preparing for this, I read something that Mark Batterson, the pastor of National Community Church, in Washington, D.C., and also uh, an author, he wrote this. He said, fast forward 500 years, a star appears over toward the town called Bethlehem, and the Bible says that wise men living in the east see it and follow it and find it, and they, they don't know exactly who they're, who they're, we don't know exactly who these wise men from the east are, but, but Mark says this, I, I, I believe that these wise men could have been descendants from the wise men who served in King, King Nebuchadnezzar's court. He goes on, I mean, something to consider, right, in the east. So here's a 30,000-foot observation. We have no idea how our lives are going to alter the course of history downstream. How our actions and decisions might make a difference in ways that we can't even possibly predict. Can we just let this blow our minds for a moment? He said, I'd argue that Daniel 2 makes Matthew 2 possible. Part of the Christmas story where the wise men show up doesn't happen without Daniel interpreting this dream because the wise men wouldn't exist. He said, don't underestimate the actions, your your actions, your decisions, your gifts, your sacrifice, because they have the power and the potential to change nations and generations. Daniel in the 5th century made it possible for the wise men in the 1st century to come and to be a part of this story. And how many know Nebuchadnezzar was a crazy king, wasn't he? In fact, this is what Nebuchadnezzar did. If you can't interpret my, my dreams, you all die. Right? That's the way it was. If you didn't, you couldn't do what he wanted you to do, you die. You die, you die, you die. As crazy as he was, then you, you fast forward that centuries later and there was a king on the throne when Jesus was born. His name was Herod. And when Herod had the wise men come and he had heard about the Messiah and the Christ, he got, he got a little anxious too. And he was a crazy person. He said, all the, all the baby boys that are uh, under two years old need to die, right? But what happened? The wise men showed up and what did they do? They warned him, didn't they? They warned him about that. And, and they said, they, they said, don't, you know, the, you, you got to be careful. Well, how does a carpenter who's making minimum wage, who has just gone to Bethlehem and had to pay all of these taxes and and register for the census and taxes. How does he go about escaping and exiling and escaping? These wise men, what do they do? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Provides a way, how many know gold in any economy, right? Provides a a, a two-way trip going back and coming back. Why? Because of what? 
because of what Daniel, because of the possibility, we don't know for sure that these were, but there's the possibility that they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking, because if you read through what Daniel prophesies, the in dreams later on that Daniel had in the conversations, you can begin to connect that God had a plan all the way along. Let me tell you something, friends. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. If we haven't seen that through this entire series, this entire, God's got a plan. He had a plan for Israel. He has a plan for you and I. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure, with his pleasure and will. I don't know about you, but this should give us a sense of destiny, shouldn't it? That God is ordering our footsteps. Psalm 37, 23, I'm going to read in the Amplified. The steps of a good and righteous man are directed and established by the Lord, and he delights in his way and blesses his path. Let me just make another observation just to drive this home before we we move on. John chapter 6 and verse 6, Jesus is quizzing Philip. There are 5,000 people, a crowd of 5,000 that had gathered around, and he's, he's quizzing Philip, and, 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 and he, he, they, they only have five loaves and two fish. How many of you remember this story? Five loaves, and there's 5,000 people, and, 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 he, and he quizzes them, and, and, and basically he, he, he says to him, where are we going to buy bread? We need to feed these people, and Philip says, well, where are we going to buy bread to fill, feed all these people? And, and, and what I love is, is that, that this is a test. I love the way the Bible puts it because it says that Jesus asks only to test him. Only to test him. Why? Because it says he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He wasn't asking the question because he didn't know what to do with a crowd of 5,000 people and only five loaves and two fish. It wasn't because Jesus didn't know how he was going to feed the crowd. Let me tell you something. When Jesus asks you questions, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's trying to draw something out of you. And so he, he, he says this just to test him. He had already in mind, you know what? Because he knew that five plus two equals 5,000 with the remainder of 12 basketfuls left over. (laughs) He already knew what he was going to do. Depending on whatever your situation, he already knows. He already knew the day that Nebuchadnezzar was going to come in and ransack the city of Jerusalem. God already knew that. He knew exactly what he was going to do. And so he spares this remnant. And he gets this guy, Daniel. And these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It wasn't the Jerusalem names, the new names they gave him. But he, he knows what he was going to do. And he set them up and put them against opposition. Opposition in which they would press into him. In which they would pray. And God would use what he would do through them and their gifts. To put him in a position of power where he could have influence in this nation that he used to bring judgment God already knows I I want you to get that this morning God knows and then you fast forward to the Persian Empire and they do to Babylon what Babylon did to Jerusalem and eventually a king by the name of Cyrus takes the throne and that's where we pick up the story the people of Israel have been in exile at this point 50 years 50 years and something totally unpredictable and unprecedented happened. Here they are. They've been in exile 50 years. How many know if you're in exile 50 years, you begin to question, what are we doing here? I think we're always going to be here. Some of you have been stuck in a, in a situation. You've been stuck in that situation for two months, two weeks, two months. And you think, oh, I don't think I'm ever going to get out. Can you imagine 50 years? 50 years. 
And the Jewish people are, 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 are about to see something unprecedented, something that's on par with the Exodus. Why? Because God is in control. And God is working his plan. And God keeps his promises. Second Chronicles 36, 22 and 23. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. In order to fulfill the word the Lord spoke, of, of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. To make a proclamation throughout the realm. And also to put in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up. And may the Lord their God be with them. Do you get the magnitude of this? Cyrus was, was not, he, 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 he wasn't an Israelite. He, he didn't worship Jehovah God. In fact, there were multiple gods and, and, and different kingdoms that they would overtake. Different people had their different gods. But here he is, Cyrus, and, and look what it says. It says that God, the Lord, excuse me, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. The Lord moved the heart of a pagan king. The Lord moved the heart of a king that did not honor him, did not worship him, did not prioritize him. The Lord moved the heart. And if God can use a Persian king named Cyrus to build a temple to a God he doesn't even worship, then he can use anyone to do anything. No matter what side of the political aisle you fall on, if I can just get a little political for a moment, because we got a whole lot of fighting going on right now, right? we got a whole lot of fighting going on right now. They're right, they're wrong, they're right, they're wrong. I'm not going to get into that mess. I'm just going to tell you that God can use anyone to do anything. And quite frankly, the way we are in our nation right now, we need God. We need him to do something. Because the people we got in there aren't doing anything. I'm not going to say that. The Lord's working, and, but we need the Lord to move. God can move in their hearts. Because we need to pray for God to raise up some Daniels and Esthers. I believe they're there. I believe that God is raising them up. Perhaps that might be you that God is putting in that arena. But, but what we need is for God to raise up the Daniels and the Esthers. Later on, we're going to talk about Nehemiah and the Nehemiahs. We need God to raise them up. But God can use a righteous king and God can use an unrighteous king. In this case, he does the latter. Ezra 6.22, for seven days they celebrated with joy the festival of unleavened bread because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria so that he insisted them, excuse me, he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. You know, I just want to put it out there. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our leaders. Our nation desperately needs leaders who will hear the voice of God. We need, we need praying leaders. We need praying leaders in our local communities. We need praying leaders in our city. We need praying leaders in our state. We need to pray for leaders, leaders who will hear the Lord. Pray for our leaders of our nation in, in, in Washington. Friends, if we're, not, if we're not praying, we shouldn't be complaining. You need to write that down. If we're not praying, we shouldn't be complaining. Proverbs 21.1. In the Lord's hands, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. We need to pray. Even in the New Testament, pray, pray, pray for the governing authorities. Pray for kings. Pray, pray for those. Because when, when, I, when, I, don't, when I don't pray, then, I, then, then, then there, we don't see anything happen. 
And, and friends, that's what we need. We, we, we need to pray. We need to pray that our leaders would submit their hearts to God. We need to pray that our leaders would commit their way to the Lord. We need to pray for our leaders that God would direct their hearts, just like that proverb says, like he directs the course of water. My question to you is, do you believe that God does that? Do you believe that he can do that? I, I believe God can do that. We, we see it. We see it with Cyrus, that, that God is working his plan, that he had a plan all the way along. He had warned them, and they didn't follow his warning. Now they're in exile, but God still has a plan. God still has a plan. We may look around and go, oh boy, this is just not however we needed it to be. Friends, we need to get on our faces and pray because God still has a plan. Regardless of what it looks like in terms of our future, I want to tell you, God has a plan. God is working his plan. God keeps his plan. But we've got to pray because when we pray, something powerful happens. I love the way Walter Wink said it. He said this, history belongs to the intercessors. That is us. That is our responsibility. Let me make two observations. I've been saying it over and over because I jump ahead because I get so excited. God keeps his word. We've been saying this throughout the series. I can't drill this into you enough. I cannot, I cannot, I can't emphasize this enough. God keeps his word. God keeps his word. God keeps his word. There's a little phrase in Second Chronicles 36, 22. I just think it's powerful. It says, this happened in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Last week we talked about the prophets, we talked about the warning, and, jo- and one way you could, you could tell if a prophet was, was, was of God is if what they prophesied came true. If what they prophesied came true, well, Jeremiah prophesied this in Jeremiah 1.12, that God is watching over his word to perform it. And, and Jeremiah had said, you will be in exile. You will be in exile for 70 years. And you know what? God was watching over his word to perform it because God keeps his word. God does not forget his people and God does not forget his promises. Over and over again in this story, we've watched God do what he said he would do. He made a promise to Abraham, right? He made a promise. And at 100, when he was 100 and Sarah was 90, they had a child. Amazing. God fulfilled his promise. And his ancestors, he said to Abraham, you'll be a great nation. You'll be a great nation. Your your ancestors are going to go to Egypt for 400 years, but I'm going to bring them into this land. And even though it took an extra 40 years because they wandered around and they didn't want God still kept his promise and, and, and was faithful to his promise. Even when they were unfaithful, God was faithful. And now Israel turned to facing, uh, uh, serving idols and face discipline, captives in a foreign land uh, where, where God is not worshipped. God directs the heart of a pagan king to release a remnant of Israelites to go back and rebuild the temple. And even more than just releasing them to go back and, and rebuild it, he pays for it. He pays for it. That's amazing. But that's God. God keeps his word. Why? Because our second observation, God has a good memory. (laughs) God has a good memory. Mine's kind of going these days, but God's got a good memory. In fact, there's a phrase often repeated in the Old Testament, and it's three words, for David's sake. In in, in 853 BC, a king named Jehoram assumed the throne, and he's the fifth king of the southern kingdom. That's the kingdom of Judah, the the kings that were following in line with David's lineage. And it had been 117 years since the death of David. And 2 Kings 8.18 says that Jehoram did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
He actually killed all of his brothers, anybody who, had a, who could assume the throne because he wanted the throne. And that's, that's how evil he was. He did all of those things so he could assume that. So you would just assume that, that this doesn't make sense when the Lord is, uh, you know, in, in human logic, it doesn't make sense to our understanding. But verse 18, it says it does evil in the eyes of the Lord. Then verse 19 turns around and it says this, nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. For whose sake? For David's sake. David's long gone. 117 years dead. Nevertheless, for his servant David, the Lord will not destroy Judah. He had promised to maintain a lamp for David and his descendants forever. Why? Because God has a good memory. Because God remembers his promises. God remembers his covenant that he makes. And he made a covenant with David. And he kept that covenant with David. Can I suggest that God has done some things in your life? Because of the promises he made to people that have gone before you. That we are the recipients. We are the recipients of God's grace and God answers. Answers to prayer for others. You know, I, I had a praying grandmother. I had a praying mom. When I was, when I was about fourth, fifth grade and my parents were going through the divorce and all those kind of things. I could have gone in all kinds of different directions. Our family was upheaved, and we had to move, and I had to move to a new school, and and, a a difficult time. But I thank God for a praying grandmother. I thank God for a praying mother. How many thank God for people who prayed for you? You're here today because of their prayers. Yeah. So I want to encourage you. You got you got you got kids that aren't serving the Lord. You got you got people that aren't serving the Lord. I want to encourage you. Don't give up on praying for them. Don't give up on praying for them. Don't, don't, don't think that God's arm is too short. God has a good memory. God remembers. Let, the, let those people be the beneficiaries of prayers that they know nothing about as we are. You know, we, we've inherited cities we didn't build, wells we didn't dig, harvests we didn't plant. Why? Because God's been working on the scene. And he's raising up a generation of people we may never meet. And so it is up to us to pray. It is up to us to seek the Lord. Why? Because God's got a good memory. He doesn't forget his people. He doesn't forget his promises. The only thing he forgets is, is, is your sin. The sin that happens when you get out from underneath his umbrella. I want to continue to follow the story. I've got to continue to move here. 538 B.C., Zerubbabel leads a remnant of 50,000 Jews back to Jerusalem. And what do they do? The first thing they do is they rebuild the altar. Ezra chapter 3, 2 and 3. And that's what we see with Ezra and Nehemiah. These are what happened after the exile. And there are prophets that also are in the Old Testament. Just to give you some context, if you're reading through God's word, that prophesy during the time of the exile. This is the time after they are coming back. But Ezra chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 says, Then Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of the Lord God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it. In accordance to what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built an altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Now today, I'm not giving you seven points. I'm not giving you seven keys. I'm not giving you to make a return to the Lord, to make a comeback. Israel was making a comeback. They were making a return. I'm not going to give you seven. I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one. Israel had been in captivity because they had come out from under the umbrella of God's protection. 
They served other idols. They served other nations. They served other gods. And as a result, they spent 70 years in exile. Yet God's hand was still on them and he was faithful. But here's one key to making a return to the umbrella of the Lord's protection. And here it is. You rebuild an altar to the Lord and you put yourself on it. You want to make a return? You, you want to make a return? You've gotten outside of the umbrella of God's protection. You've gotten un- outside of the umbrella of what God's will is and God's word is and what God's word says. How do you come back? You, you come back with, 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 with building an altar. And then you put yourself on it. A- a- an altar. You, you, you come back and you surrender yourself back to the Lord, to his priorities into his purposes. There are some of you here today, you're outside the umbrella. You're outside the umbrella. And God wants you to come back. He wants you to return. In fact, Michelle, where are you? Michelle, Michelle was here and she came up and she had a, a vision from the Lord during worship. Oh, there you are. Michelle, will you come and just share that? Because I just think this really fits with, with where this message is going. And I, I'm just putting Michelle on the spot. She didn't know I was going to do this. She just caught me right before Right, right when I let you all, you know, welcome each other. Michelle, what did the Lord, what vision did the Lord give you? Um, it was a vision. I was standing on a mountain, and I was looking down to a valley, and there were a fire, and sheep were being led up a narrow path up to safety. So. Yeah. Return. 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 God wants his sheep to return. Yep. There's the fire. There's the danger. But God wants his sheep to return. Yeah. And that was just during worship, right? God gave you that vision during worship. We didn't plan this. No, no. No. This no. Is I, I just, no. I, because, I, you know, no. thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Michelle didn't know what I was preaching on. She didn't know what the Lord had already put on her heart. And we're in this long story short series. And this is, this is just, why? Because there are some of you that are outside the umbrella You're outside the umbrella, and God says it's time to come home. It's time to come home. It's time to return. It's time to return to me. It is time to come home. I want to lead you. I should mention it was a narrow path. And the Bible said narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 about about how we ought to surrender in an altar. You may say, that sounds so Old Testament. Let me tell you how we translate it in the New Testament. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do you see the, the foundation for surrender? To, to build an altar, to come back to the Lord and to put yourself on it is surrender. And, and what, is, what is it? What is, what, is the, what is the foundation of that? What, what should the draw of that be? The draw is the mercies of God. Paul says in view of the mercies of God. He is just, if you read the Romans, he's telling you about the mercies of God. He's telling you about what Jesus Christ has done. And it's the mercies of God. The Israel returning to the temple to, to rebuild it because a, a, a pagan king was moved in his heart by the Lord, not only to let them go back, but to also finance it and to put his stamp on it. I think that's the mercies of God. 
in view of the mercies of God. God staying faithful to his covenant promise to David. God fulfilling the plan that he had spoken to Jeremiah about 70, uh, about years earlier. And he said, listen, this is going to happen. But God's got you. God's gracious and merciful, loving, protecting and guiding hand has you. And in view of this, they built an altar and they began to offer sacrifices back to the Lordship of God. And friends, when we take a look at the mercy of God and what Jesus Christ has done, and we're going to talk about the cross coming up and what Jesus has done, we can't help in view of that mercy to say, oh Lord, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And I'm going to surrender to your plan. I'm going to surrender to your will. i got to build an altar. And I've got to put my hand, I've got to put myself back on it. You know, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is addressing different churches. In the church of Ephesus, in Revelation chapter 2, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. But it says this, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. What are the things you did at first? You build an altar and you put yourself on it. What are the things you did at first? You surrendered your life to Christ. You surrendered yourself to the Lord. You said, I'm tired of that old way. I don't want to live in my way of sin. I don't want to live in that way any longer. I'm surrendering, and I am coming back to you. I'm coming back to you. And that, that's, what, that's what God is asking us because as we begin to move, then we, then we see what God wants to do. And in Joel chapter 2 and verse 25, he gives this promise, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Some of you, there have been consequences that have happened where your life has been ransacked. But God says, come back to me because I want to bring restoration to you. I want to bring restoration to your life. Come back to me. You know, one of the most amazing returns, one of the most amazing comebacks, one of the most amazing returns is the story in the Bible that we know as as the prodigal son. How many of you remember that story? The shirt version, there's two sons. The youngest asked for his inheritance, which in that culture, he might as well said to his father, I consider you already dead, so why don't you just give me what's mine? And he squandered it on wild living and ended up in a pig pen. How many know sometimes God has to get us to the lowest place to get our attention? And the Bible says he came to his senses. And you know what happened? It's a powerful emotion. How many of you ever heard of the emotion or heard of the word nostalgia? Nostalgia. I had to look it up. It means sentimental longing or wistful affection for the past, typically for a period or place with, a happy, with happy personal associations. See, the prodigal son had gone so far, but now where he's at, he remembers. He remembers his father. And and, and as he's remembering, he says, you know what? My father treated his servants better than I'm being treated here. There was some nostalgia to where home was. There was something inside of him that said, there is that place. There's that place of home. There's that place that I remember. And you know what? This is really bad. And it was that sense of it's better in my father's house that began to stir in him a desire to come home. And nostalgia did something in his heart. And as I was writing this, I came across a powerful devotional reflection. And and, and not in a source that I expected. But Pope Francis, he preached a message on October 1st, 2015 called Nostalgia for God. And in this message, he reflects. 
He reflects on the return of the Israelites in the second wave under the leadership of Nehemiah. So you had Ezra building the temple, Nehemiah in a second wave rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. Pope Francis shared this, and I just want to read his words in this sermon. He said, the people of Israel had been deported to Babylon. They were far from Jerusalem, and they lived there for years and decades. So many of them had been accustomed to that life. They'd almost forgotten their homeland. But there was something inside that always reminded them. And when that moment of remembrance came, they prayed the words, Psalm 137.6 in the NIV. And and this is from that same time period in in the Psalms. And it says, may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Nostalgia. It's what moved Nehemiah to tears when he found out, when he heard the walls had been burned down in Jerusalem. Moved him to tears and moved him to prayer. And, 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 and in this message, the road back had its struggles. The road back to transport the wood and the stone and to keep watch night and day as Nehemiah had come against the enemies and to rebuild the wall. They had to keep watch. It was not an easy way back. Sometimes the way back is not easy because of the consequences of what we've had to face. Some of the consequences, the, the walls have been burned down. It was not easy. And it's not easy sometimes coming back. But God was still with Nehemiah. And there was something that was stirring and and kept going until they rebuilt the walls in in a a record time period. Record time frame. And what what does Nehemiah do? If you read it, what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah asks Ezra to come. Ezra's the priest to read and have the priest begin to read through the law. They want to remind the people of the law. And as they're reminding the people of the law and the scribes and the priests are reading it, the people began to weep because they realized how far out of the umbrella of God's protection they had gone. They were joyful that they were back, but they also began to weep because they realized how far they were. Nehemiah and the Levites together exhorted the people with these words, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Indeed, it's true that all the people, when they listened to the words of the law, they wept for joy. They wept because they had found their identity. They discovered the identity that had been lost because of years of deportation. And as they had come home, they began to recognize who they were. They began to recognize how far they had gone, but they began to see who they were. And Nehemiah says, this is a day of joy. Don't weep. This is a day of joy because you know who you are. And the devotional message closed with this observation. There is a thread that leads us there. There is a homesickness, a nostalgia for your home, such that when you have lost what was yours, your home, you have this nostalgia. This nostalgia leads you home again. This is just as it was for the people of Israel who with nostalgia felt they were happy and wept with joy over this because nostalgia of their true identity led them to find it. And this was a grace from God. There are some of you, it's time to come home. I'm not talking about a physical location or a physical church. I'm talking about coming back to Jesus. You have been outside the umbrella, and Jesus says it's time. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. I want to put you under the wings of my protection. I want, to, I want to gather you in. I long, as he said to Jerusalem, to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. I long for you to gather. It's time to return. It's time to come home. Some of you have been wandering for a while. You, you've tried your own way. You've tried things your own way. And, 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 and it, it, it's, it, there's something inside of you. You know it's time to come home. It's time to come home. It's time to come back to Jesus. So how is your nostalgia for God? 
Are you content? Are you happy? How is it? There are some of you here today, you're far from God. You're far from God. You miss him, he misses you, and he wants you back. But the good news is he's not a God who scolds us when we come back. The story of the prodigal son doesn't show us that. In fact, when the son came back, he was looking for him, longing for him, arms wide open. He brought him in. He hugged him. He kissed him. And he put the ring of a son back on his finger. (laughs) He threw a party for him. That's the father's heart. Friends, it's time to come home. It's time to come home like that vision of the sheep coming back. It's time to come home. It's time to make our pilgrimage back to the foot of the cross. So today, as you bow your heads and the worship team comes, I want to invite you to come back under God's umbrella. It's time to come back to God's umbrella. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to ask you, if you're here today, and you know it's time, it's time to come back to Jesus. You would admit today, I've been wandering. I'm not as close to the Lord as I should be, where I should be. I'm wandering. I'm I'm far from the Lord. But you would just acknowledge today, I want to come back. I want to come back to Jesus today. I want to surrender. I want to surrender my life once again to Jesus. I want to put myself on it, on on the altar. Today, I want to come back to Jesus like the prodigal. I want to come back. It's time to come back to Jesus today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? I want to pray for you. I want to come back. I need to come back. I've been wandering. I need to come back. I need to come back to Jesus today. I need to come back to the Lord today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray today. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're loving. Thank you that you're faithful. Thank you, Lord, that even when we wander, even when we get outside of your umbrella, that, Father, you are always welcoming us back under your grace, under your mercy, desiring God to bring us back, back to your heart. Today, Lord, maybe it's not our full lives where we've been wandering, but maybe there's an area of our life that we need to surrender back to you an area that we've grabbed onto, an area that we've hung onto, an area, Lord, that we are just not willing to let go of. God, today we surrender to you. We build an altar, God, today, an altar to you, and we put whatever that is on the altar, we put our very lives to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. Jesus, we just thank you for your love and your mercy that invites us back. We thank you for your sovereign hand. You are in control. We trust you today. We trust you today. We trust you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Can we just stand? And if you want to come to the altar, if you need prayer today for any reason, something going on in your life, you just want prayer, maybe you just want to just spend some time with Jesus today. Will you just come as we... As we sing today and as we just close with a song of worship today. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.